0: This morning, we're turning back to the Gospel of John, and I invite you to turn there with me if you have your Bibles. John chapter 8, <clears throat> there are scriptures in the a little pocket underneath the chairs in front of you. Someone suggested that I note what page that is, but since my edition of the Bible is different, I don't know what page that is. But if you see anyone around you who doesn't have a Bible or might be struggling to find it, feel free to lend some help. We're in John chapter 8 beginning at verse 12. I'll be reading through verse 30. This is in a series of sermons that I've been preaching from the Gospel of John that we have together as pastors been preaching from the Gospel of John. Hear the Word of God this morning as He speaks to us in these words that John recorded. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. He said to them, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to Him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but He who sent Me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from Him May that also be true this morning, as this word is preached, that we also would come to believe in Him. Over this past weekend, you may or may not know that we had our annual leaders retreat. That's a couple of days where we go together as elders off campus, and we spend some time together. There's really two things that we did. I'll say a little bit about the beginning and then tell you more about it at the end of the sermon this morning. For the first night... I ask each elder to sort of give us an update on how they're doing. So how are things in your family? How are you doing in your work? How is your walk with the Lord? And what is it like for you to serve as an elder in this church? Each man gives a report for 20 minutes or so, and then we pray at length for that man. We went all the way around the circle. It came to my turn. And one of the things I noted last year has really been impressed upon me again this year. And the thing that I noted to my brothers, as best as I can recall, it certainly is very much in my heart this morning, is that it took me many, many years to figure out that my calling as a pastor was not to lead, but to follow. Now, I say that as a pastor who has been trained in leadership, and I don't mean to say there is no responsibility to lead. I do believe that's true. And later on, when I talk about some of the things that we have discussed a little bit this morning, but then more in a couple of weeks when we have a town hall meeting that you're all invited to. When we talk about those things, you'll see some of the things that we've been called to lead into, and I'm responsible for that, much of that. But for a great deal of my life, and maybe this would be true for you also, you spend your life worrying about how you can plan best for the future. And again, some of that is appropriate, but when it becomes your overwhelming desire to know about that future to the points that everything is squared away, You know what the future is like. It is secure. Something is fundamentally wrong. And that's what I did for many years as a pastor, thinking if I only worked hard and planned well enough, everything was going to go the way I wanted. And the Lord has taken many years, more than 20 years, to show me that my fundamental attitude as a Christian and as a father, as a husband, and especially as a pastor is that I am called to be a follower first. Before I'm called to be a leader, as easy as it is for me to say that this morning, I want to challenge you in this passage whether you are willing, whether you are willing for Jesus to lead you. To ask it more specifically, can you trust Jesus to lead you? Because Jesus is claiming that ability this morning in these verses that I read to you from John chapter 8. Maybe that's difficult to understand. So the first thing I want to do this morning is explain to you just that first verse where Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but have the light of life. You might know that the gospel of John has many of these I am statements. They are explicit claims that Jesus is in fact the great Old Testament God, that the God the Israelites worshipped in the Old Testament, is now revealed in Jesus Christ. He said, "I am" to Moses, and Jesus now says over and over in John, "I am." And here he says, "I am the light of the world." To appreciate what Jesus meant when he said that, I want to remind you of something that I noted last week. In case you were not here, I'll repeat it this morning. The section that precedes this that I have bracketed in my edition of the Bible, maybe also in yours, says the earliest manuscripts do not include the first portion of John chapter 8. What I said last Sunday is there's a lot of uncertainty about where this story, where this historical event should be placed in our editions of the Bible. And our editors place it here at the beginning of John chapter 8. I believe it's historically true. We're just not certain where it should be placed. And I note that again because when we start in verse 12, I want you to think very clearly that Jesus is still at the festival of the tabernacles in Jerusalem. You can look all the way back to the beginning of chapter 7 and see what is called the Feast of Booze or the Feast of Tabernacles Introduced there. And at that point, it says that Jesus initially did not go up to that festival and then came to that festival later. And if I can just just put it this way, this is the first time that Jesus really appears on the scene of Jerusalem. And the crowds are flocking to him and people are listening to him. And Jesus makes some of the boldest claims that he'll ever make in his ministry here at the Feast of Tabernacles. And in order to understand what Jesus means in verse 12, I am the light of the world, you have to know what would happen at the Feast of Tabernacles. You might remember that this feast as a whole was a celebration of the Old Testament period when God had brought the Israelites out of the land of Egypt through the Red Sea and he had cared for them for 40 years in the wilderness. He had given them manna to eat, brought quail from the, from the desert. He had fed them, and he had given them water from the rock. And they had lived in booze, or what we might say, they'd lived in temporary shelter, sort of like tents. That's what they did for 40 years, and God had taken care of them the entire time. But there was one part of that festival that celebrated a particular part of the Israelite period in the desert. In Exodus chapter 13, verses 21 through 23, very early in the time in which they wandered in the desert, we read these words, And the Lord went before them, that is the Israelites, he went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. And we read about not only God leading them through this fiery, fiery crowd when they wandered through the desert, but we read about one particular time where God appeared In this fiery pillar or cloud to protect his people. When the Israelites crossed through the Red Sea, he parted the waters. The pillar of cloud, it says in Exodus, prevented the Egyptians from following after the Israelites and killing them. So if you're wondering... What the Israelites would have been celebrating at the festival of booze, a celebration that went on almost eight days. Imagine the celebration. Every night when it became dark, there were giant torches that were placed outside outside of the temple. And these torches would burn all night and the people would take smaller torches and light them from the larger ones and they would celebrate, not for 15 minutes or a half hour or an hour, they would celebrate through the night that in the middle of darkness there was the light of God that protected them and especially led them when they were incredibly vulnerable. They would wave these torches The best illustration I could think of is if you're a child and it's 4th of July and your parents give you these sparklers and you run around and you're so thrilled, these sparklers setting off all this color. You think to yourself, this is beautiful and wonderful. That's nothing compared to what the Israelites were celebrating at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was mind blowing. God had protected us for 40 years through the light of his cloud. He had protected us in the moment when we were most vulnerable from the Egyptians. And for 40 long years, in the darkest period in our history, God gave the Israelites light out of darkness, life out of death. And it is into that celebration of the light comes Jesus making this audacious claim here. In verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The light of life makes perfect sense. The Israelites had received life when the Shekinah glory of God descended into this cloud of light. And what Jesus is claiming here at the festival of the tabernacle was that as the lights are burning, He is saying that God that led you, protected you through those 40 years, here I am. I'm the one. I'm the one that leads you and protects you. That light was meant to lead you to me. And to make that claim even more incredible, Jesus extends it in two ways beyond most likely what the Israelites would have been anticipating. He first claims to be the light of the world. Do you see that? Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness. Light of the world. The Israelites would have thought of that light in terms of protection and leading of the Israelites, not the light of the world. Now Jesus is coming saying this light I will lead not only a few people or just the nation of Israel. I am claiming to be the light of the world. There is no other, only me. I am the one who's capable of leading human beings. Maybe it reminds you of John chapter 1, verse 4, where it says, In him was life, and that life was the light of men. There's no other light, Jesus is claiming. No one, uh, no one else Lead you only me, I am the light of the world. The second way that Jesus extends that claim of the Old Testament, I am light, is by calling the crowds to believe in Him. He says, Whoever believes in me will walk in light and never in darkness. He does not tell them to go back and believe in the God of the Old Testament. He tells them to believe in him. I'm not dividing the God of the Old Testament from Jesus. I'm simply saying any good rabbi would have said to the Israelites, Believe in the God who led you through the wilderness. Jesus goes further. He says, Believe in me. I am the God who led you in the wilderness. I'm the one. Does that impress you this morning? That Jesus in this I am statement is making this bold claim that God protected and led his people in the Old Testament by the pillar of light. And Jesus now says, I am the embodiment of that work of God. I can protect you. I can lead you. I am the light. I am the light of God. I want you to hear that very clear this morning, wherever you are. Because that claim was not only intended for the Old Testament Israelites, it's also intended for you. Here's the claim. When Jesus says, I am the light of men, if you believe me, you will never walk in darkness, you will have lights. Jesus is making that claim as clearly here this morning to you today as he made it at the tabernacle, tabernacle here in our passage. It is almost certain that some of us wonder, Perhaps most of us, even all of us, wonder about protection and care. For much of our pastoral prayer this morning, I prayed, and hopefully it was true for you as well, about the need that we have for God to lead us, to protect us and to lead us. And in this passage, Jesus is saying the protection and the leadership that you need, I am the one who is giving it to you. Think of how much time in life we spend trying to hang on to the things that we believe will give us control over what will make our lives good, complete, what we want. And Jesus totally reverses that. He says those ambitions, those goals, that time, our energy, our lives, they belong to Jesus. He has the right to claim them. Jesus says, I am the light of life. Are you willing to do that this morning? To put it in other language that Jesus uses in other places, when he calls his disciples, he says, follow me. Or in another place, he says, if anyone would want to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross. And what? follow me it will require you to give up your sense that your life belongs to yourself and I have to tell you this morning that is one of the hardest callings in life as I noted at the beginning of this sermon it may take many many years for that reality to become true in your life but it begins somewhere And Jesus is calling in this passage to these folks the Feast of Tabernacle and to each one of you this morning, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or you're just hearing about Him this morning, to follow Him, to give yourself over to Him, to rest in Him, to rely on Him, to respond to Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. So here's the second thing I want to ask for you this morning. Why in the world would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you believe Jesus' incredible claim? And as complicated as the following verses are, I think they make two compelling reasons that Jesus gives to these people who are listening why that should be true. The first reason comes in verses 13 through 20 where Jesus makes the claim that he is fundamentally different from everyone else. He's not calling you to follow someone who is like your father, your mother, your friend, some politician. He is in an indifferent category. Now let me explain to you why that is. These are not easy things for us to follow. So I'll do my best to explain them to you and give you the core of this first reason. In verse 13, after following, immediately after Jesus makes the claim to be the saving, leading Savior, the light of the world, the Pharisees say to him, that's not possible. And it's a reason of evidence. Jesus is making that claim about himself. They say, where is your proof? Who else says this about you? Doesn't there have to be another witness? You're your own witness. Who believes claims about yourself? I can understand to some degree why the Pharisees are asking this question. In just a couple of chapters earlier in chapter 531, Jesus said, to quote, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. <laughs> I can imagine these Pharisees saying to themselves, "Got you, Jesus. You said if you testify about yourself, your testimony is not true. You just testified about yourself that you are the light of the world, that you can lead us like no one else can. Who else testifies that is true? Jesus goes on in verses 16 through 20 to say that they should believe his claim because his father speaks as well. Verse 18 says, I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who bears witness about me does as well. It's not me alone. It is the Father who testifies along with me. Now you might say to yourself, what in the world, what in the world is Jesus pointing to? The heart of what Jesus means to tell these Pharisees, comes, I believe, in verse 15. Where he says to the Pharisees, you judge me according to the flesh. I judge no one. I believe what Jesus is saying is, I judge no one according to that standard. They have assumed to evaluate Jesus according to the unnamed but assumed standard that exists in their minds. And Jesus says you need to rethink your assumption. You're evaluating me like you evaluate everyone else. You're holding me to the standard of two witnesses that make sense in your mind. I'm going to challenge that. You're evaluating me according to the flesh. It's not right. What does that mean? I'm going to ask you to think about the question about evaluating Jesus. Maybe I'll put it this way. How do you know if Jesus is for you? if you should put your trust in Him, if you should follow Him, if He is indeed able to lead you. Our most basic standard of evaluation for most of life is, well, why would I do that? How does that benefit me? Is it what I want? Is it good for me? That standard functions in all areas of life. When I go out to buy a car, I ask myself the question, is it the car I want? Is it good for me? Is it good for my family? That standard is the one that we so commonly apply. It's also the reason it's difficult to parent. Because we look at our children and often the question we ask is not what's good for them, but what do I want out of this? Oh, please, friends, isn't that true? Why are you making this so difficult for me? This is my life. Why can't you just be what I want you to be? That is the dangerous assumption, shall I call it, according to the flesh that turns us inward farther and farther until it's impossible to see beyond ourselves. And that's what the Pharisees were applying. It is natural as fallen people living in this world, we would do exactly that. Remember what Adam and Eve did when they rebelled against God. The evil one came to them and he said, do you want to know good and evil? Do you want to be like God? Would this be good for you? And Adam and Eve said, absolutely. Who would not want to be like God? Knowing good and evil, sign me up. Even if it means rebellion against the God who made us, that, my friends, is judging according to the flesh. Here's what Jesus says. You must evaluate him differently. Jesus tells us over and over that to really understand Him, you must start by denying yourself. You must look away from yourself to Him. And when you do, you will discover that He is bringing you into a kingdom that is far greater than whatever you thought you were accumulating for yourself. You are so focused so often as I am on how I can establish my own kingdom So that I may reign in the way that brings me greatest satisfaction. And Jesus challenges that all by bringing us into a kingdom that gives us true transcendent meaning. Here's the question for you Can Jesus do that? Can He lead you into a kingdom that gives you ultimate meaning? The Pharisees could not get to that point. They got stuck at who testifies about you, who is your second witness. Jesus is saying, look higher, look above that. Look not simply to how this will benefit me. Look at the kingdom that I am bringing you into The second way that Jesus challenges these Pharisees, and I would challenge you again this morning, is Jesus able to lead you? Yes, He is, because He will bring you into a kingdom that is greater than you imagine. The second reason you ought to follow Him is given in those verses that follow, verses 21 through 30. Again, complicated verses, difficult perhaps to understand, would love to do a lengthy Bible study through them. But again, to get to the heart of what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. The Pharisees take this to mean that Jesus is going to kill himself. I think that is subtly communicated by what he says. Not that he's going to kill himself, but that he's going away. They would say permanently, Jesus is going to die. And their question is, what does that mean? If he's going to die, what does that mean? Particularly when Jesus adds in these verses that Jesus is doing this work by the authority of the Father. This is God's design. This is their work together. He is doing what pleases the Father always according to verse 20. It is the plan of God that Jesus would go to die. It is when Jesus is lifted up, when He dies on the cross, as it indicates here, that they will see the reality that Jesus came from the Father. How should this persuade them and us that we can follow this Jesus? I'll tell you this morning why that should be persuasive. The best friend that you have in this world, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's someone else, maybe it's a sibling, the person that you believe loves you the most would struggle to give him or herself for you. The reason I say that is not because you've ever been in that situation where it's life and death and you jump in front of the car that's speeding to kill your spouse or your child or you have to take a bullet for someone else the reason I say it's difficult is because you find it difficult every day do you not find it difficult to abandon yourself in love for your spouse your friend whoever it is your child every day at 2 a.m. when your child is crying do you not say to yourself I wish he or she would just be quiet I'm trying to sleep here When your spouse doesn't do what you're hoping, do you not say to yourself, why doesn't he or she just do what I want? So that I say to you, as John says, even the best of us will struggle to give ourselves for someone else, but not Jesus. Jesus. Jesus offers himself to you, my friend, fully and truly, with no hesitation. He's not looking for something from you so that this is a fair exchange. He's not saying to you, when you are everything that I need from you, I will give myself. No, Jesus comes to you when you're weakest, when you have the least to give. It is the nature of the mercy of God that he will come to you in your need To offer you help. No one else can do that. And that is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees and also to you this morning. Why should you give yourself to follow this Jesus? Not only will he bring you into a kingdom that is beyond our imaginations, but he will bring you there by his own mercy. He will willingly go to the cross in your place, suffering the punishment that I deserve. And he does so freely. So, why would you not follow him? Why would you not? Jesus says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That's for you this morning. As I said at the beginning of the sermon, every year our elders go away on a retreat. In a few weeks when we have our town hall meeting, you'll see advertisements for that. We'll talk about some of the things that we talked about in our planning for the new and even the far distant, somewhat distant future. But this morning I'm not going to talk about things those things. What I want to note to you as we end this morning is the necessity of those plans to be considered in the light of this text. The very best and wisest plans will be in rebellion against our Savior if they are not first and foremost given to Him as He leads us. I think I can confidently say this for each one of the brothers who was there this weekend. Our desire as leadership in this church is to follow first before we lead. May that be true for us, for me personally, for our leadership as a whole. But then, my friend, wherever you are in life, whatever that means that you must give up, would you see in Jesus Christ the one who makes not only the claim to be able to lead you, but would you see he has every right and he has every ability to make that claim? Let's bow in prayer. Our Father, we know in our hearts how difficult it is to give up our lives for the sake of another. We wrestle with that over and over. And to think of the marvelous grace of Jesus, the Son of God, God Himself who came into this world and willingly gave Himself in our place. Lord, we run to Him this morning. In all of our difficulty, in all of our struggle in all the places in which we are uncertain, in all the places that we wonder about the future, Lord, we give them to our Savior Jesus, who said He was not only able to bear the weight of those things, but Lord, He's also a merciful God. So much of our lives is spent trying to protect ourselves from harm. Lord, show us that with Jesus Christ there is no need because Jesus will protect us as he leads us, as certainly as that cloud of fire protected the Israelites in the Old Testament. He will keep us. He will protect us. And therefore, he is able to lead us. Lord, may we know that this morning as we come in Jesus' name, amen.